Colin, why don't you come up? Uh, let's just open our hearts to Colin. I don't know if it's just Colin or Colin and the crew. Colin and the crew, not the band, a different crew than normal, are going to be sharing with us today. Um, I'll let you explain what you've been doing, but let's keep our hearts open. What these guys have been uh, working into is very much an application of this God who we worship and how he wants us to care for and look after this planet that he made. I don't want to say any more than that. I don't want to steal their thunder. But this is application. This is insight to application. So as we hear uh, this afternoon, let's be thinking, well, what difference does this make to my life? What difference could it make? to my life and how I live. So thank you guys for sharing with us. We just want to receive you and hear what God wants to say through you. So, Yes, I finally escaped from the stage. <laughs> I come out of hiding and here I am. So um, we're currently in the season of creation for this year. A season of creation covers September. A lot of the established churches is part of their calendar. And I know we don't normally fit in with the sort of like the established churches, but Again, it's typical this year for us to be thinking about harvest and all the good that nature provides for us. So it still, it still fits. So that's where we are. And actually, the, the subject this year is let justice and peace flow. And uh, the words they provide for us are this. Um, the prophet Amos cries out, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's from Amos 5.24. So we are called to join the river of justice and peace, to take up climate and ecological justice and to speak out and for communities most impacted by climate injustice and the loss of biodiversity. As the people of God, we must work together on behalf of all creation as part of that mighty river of peace and justice. So... Oh, let me just change my notes. They're not in sync when you've got this system. But anyway, here we go. Um, so actually, we've just completed a course called the Plenty Course, and it fits in very nicely with this theme. Um, and this course is all about economic justice. And you can see there the sort of the subject titles that we had each week to discuss. Very thought-provoking and challenging. And what I'm going to do now is call up, I think there's three of us from the course that are going to come and just share how it has impacted them in going through this course. So come on up. And uh, this is your moment, so go on, go on. I don't know who'd like to go first. Go on, Karen. (laughs) I've written it down because otherwise we'll waffle. Okay, as someone that has always loved the subject of geography... I've grown up being interested in climate change, inequalities around the globe, and how we can have a positive impact on the world and its inhabitants. Before I started the course, I would recycle, shopped in charity shops for clothes, and was aware of buying from ethical suppliers where I could, but I've always felt like I should be doing more. And also had a sense of, is there much point in doing these little things as they won't make much of a difference? So I guess I would do these things half-heartedly and give myself a pat on the back. Doing the Plenty course has had a huge impact on me. It was a time to pause and really consider how we as Christians need to stand up and speak out for those that have little and to start being better stewards of what God has given us. I love the way it was based around the principle of having joy in enough. 
we would focus on a topic each session and then be challenged by questions that made us reflect on what we had watched or read and think about what our personal feelings were, if we had any experience of what we were looking at. We would discuss what the biblical perspective would be, and that would always be a challenge. All the pre-reading was so eye-opening and actually made me feel so sad and uncomfortable, but we also had biblical passages to study alongside that gave you hope. It opened my eyes and made me look at my life and my responses, all through the lens of what God has said through Scripture. I have felt so challenged by how much I waste, even in terms of buying more clothes than I need from charity shops. I've set myself a challenge of not buying anything until my birthday at the end of March. For many of you, that won't seem much of a challenge, but for me, that is a really big step. So I'm trying to break my cycle of wastefulness. And that goes with food as well, thinking about um, menus and just trying to not waste as much food as we do. The course made me assess what I really need. I realized how often I would think I need something when in fact my ancestors would have managed without it, and people in large parts of the world that suffer from the gross inequalities that really are truly criminal um, when we live as we do in this part of the world would probably come into my house and be shocked at how much rubbish and stuff I have. So I'm always thinking now, do I actually need this? It is too easy for us to click that button on Amazon and it arrives the next day. So I've stopped going on there, as taking that step back from the instant I can get it now gives me time to reflect and ponder whether I do truly need something. Apart from studying theology at KST, this course has had the greatest impact on my thinking and how I live as a Christian. I honestly cannot understate how much this course has been. It's just changed me. Um, It's just really changed my perspective on things. I work at the safe, so I am in a privileged position to meet with people who have so very little and be able to give them clothes and food. They're always incredibly thankful, but they're often the people who are desperate to repay kindness for the tiny amount that we do for them. And it is just so humbling. I guess doing the plenty course has empowered me to believe that I can make a difference and not just to think it's such a huge task to change inequalities and help with climate change that I just won't bother. I've started signing petitions at Collins Sends Us, when in the past I would have thought it pointless, as one signature won't make a difference. As a child, I was absolutely obsessed by Mother Teresa. I read lots about her, and she really is my hero. And she said, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. And that was such a, a good word. Um, And another quote is from Helen Keller, and she said, The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of tiny pushes of each honest worker. So I'm doing my tiny little push, my tiny push now. So this course has renewed my focus on living a life that truly means I'm loving my neighbor and being a steward of this beautiful creation for future generations. So um, I attended this course to kind of learn a bit more about how to respond in a bit more of a collective way um, as we'd already started to make kind of individual changes. Um, But actually what this course did was just really make clear how much of a justice, social justice issue this is. Um, And 
kind of making these links, which I sort of knew about. Um, the course really gave more information and clarity about. Um, and it just highlighted to me how the kingdom of God, a place where the poor are blessed, the least are first, um, dependency on God, not money, <laughs> um, is healing not just for humans, but to our environment and to our world. Um, and it just got me thinking about how climate change is so relevant to the different fields and um, spheres of influence that we're in. Um, so I didn't go into the course thinking I've got a calling to be a climate change activist. Sorry, Colin. Um, but <laughs> what it kind of awoke in me or made me realise was, so my calling's more in the mental health field. So I have a calling to try and heal psychological suffering. Um, but climate change is going to impact the field of mental health so much. And, um, yeah, it just made me... Yeah, appreciate that so much more. Um, and I'm now trying to work with people at my university um, to try and raise awareness in about climate change in the field of psychology um, and do some research into it. Um, yeah, so I just encourage you, whatever your calling is, just to think about actually if it's to serve the poor, thinking about climate change is so part of that. Um, so yeah, the course was really helpful to just reimagine what the world could look like um, in bringing the kingdom of God through social justice um, and led to taking action. So thank you. Well, <laughs> I've got so little to say. <laughs> um, I joined the course because I would like to make other connections from like with the church, among the church that I normally do. And then it was so nice to get to know you guys more. And yeah, also, uh, joy, enough, principles. I love it, that one. Being, loving, living, becoming, acting, and daring. It's quite, you know, every day we've got choices. I mean, so... And being, loving it, you know, it's just a kind of th thinking now uh, more. So section two was the one that really, really um, spoke to me. Just can't get enough. Consumerism is that word terrible to say. I even got the phonetics here. And advertising, the power of advertising. Always they've got the way for us to buy more than we need. You know? And then the psychologists, like mentally, they, they, they know what to say, how to do it for us to make, oh, I need that, or oh, oh, be lovely to, to have that. You know, it's just kind of, it's really, really uh, strong. So I like the way the scriptures were all connected and Exodus uh, 16, 14 to 30, say how, showing how God provides for us, how God, that it's everything God made was enough for everyone. But Luke, Luke uh, 12, 13, uh, 34 was the parable of the, the rich man. And the man was just thinking about money, storing up his large harvest and many goods for himself alone, and did not let others into this good fortune. Our society today is doing the same. 
And it's dangerous, as the Bible says, the rich man was seen as a fool. Uh, this huge consumerism attitude has been planted in us through the adverts and we see all the time and everywhere. For example, we are bombarded, uh, bombarded, bombarded all the time with adverts with new technologies and latest fashion and everything. And to be able to have what we want, we need to work more hours, find an evening job, and then working more to be able to have this kind of thing. And then really missing the simple, the family, the, the, the time, the, the, the quality time with family and friends, and like Instagram, Facebook, always saying like, these good things are you should have it and then you feel better, you feel good. And then you just sometimes get caught with that and then just go with the flow. But <laughs> we feel like we never have enough and we start to think we need to have stuff uh, as it, if it were really essential or to feel good, etc. But we can't end it up spending more money that we have in a bank and they've got like a, another kind of problems <laughs> the enough from god has been forgotten the simple way of living has been suffocated as a christians we need to ask god to open our eyes to see and understand the danger of this and how it can trap us in this kind of mentality our houses are full of stuff that we don't need and we don't use. Another example, like, was really um, strong to me was, like, buy one, get one free. Or buy one and get 30% off another one. If you don't need it, why you buy it? Why even thought about buying it? If you're going to be wasted. If you want to bless someone, it's lovely. Do it. But if it's just... For the sake of buying it, don't. The plain course changed my mind to lots of things I was doing wrong about climate change, everything. And I have been addressing some issues and acting in some areas of my life to be able to align my thoughts, thoughts with God's word. It is small changes, but one step at a time, we're going to get there. Thank you. I think they've pinched my message now. But anyway, we'll, we'll carry on um, with this. I just point out that Adrian and Heather were also part of the course. They'll be sharing at the end with some prayers. I think by the time we get through this, we'll probably need them. But here we go. Um, so just a bit about the Plenty course. Why did we do it in the first place? I know it fitted quite well with the subject today, but we did have some reasons. It actually connects with the hub sort of pillar of our vision, which is transforming the society. Um, so I think we've got on the website, we encourage the church to serve our communities and engage in projects that bless others in need as part of God's heart and mission. And we know that um, we're told by, by Jesus to love our neighbor. And from the Good Samaritan, we know our neighbor is not just the person next door, but it's our neighbor in far off countries as well. So that's also part of this. And... Um, and, you know, it is good that we're engaged with local initiatives like food banks, warm spaces and street paths, etc., to meet the immediate needs. 
But what about the changes to the system and the world views out there? You know, do we need a bigger vision? You know, we're called as a church to establish heaven on earth. We know we're not going to get all the way there, but we're called, that's our goal, to do that. So what would heaven look like on earth? It's just something for you to think about. Um, oops. Uh, yeah, and we're also we're called to, to not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind as well. And uh, also from the Ephesians, we're called to um, uh, not to wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and the against rulers and darkness of this age, and all the sort of like the evil schemes. So. Justice is our theme, and particularly economic justice, because that's what we've been studying. And um, well, what I'm going to do, we, I read briefly from that bit in Amos, but um, it's a couple of verses, but it does have a context, and I think it would be quite good to see it where it sits in Scripture. And I'm going to get Mary to read it um, from the message version, because it brings the language up to date a bit, so it'll help you to sort of see that, so... Amos 5, 21-24 I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image-making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music, When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. So I'm not suggesting that God dislikes our worship here but we've got to see this in the context and there is a connection here and a warning to the church you know for our worship to be truly authentic on a sunday we must live out justice from monday to saturday otherwise what we do on the sunday doesn't make sense justice is referred to in the bible 328 times and we are instructed to do justice around about 25 times so it's quite a big imperative really we get through scripture okay so we can talk about economics it's not my specialism so (laughs) bear with me but where are we in the uk we are blessed okay we have housing and shelter we have plenty of food to go around we have water and sanitation and I know there's problems with the spillage into rivers and things like that, but generally we're satisfied in that area. We've got the NHS. Again, not brilliant. Every situation, but there's lots of people out there who would love to have our NHS in other parts of the world. Um, oh, actually, I got it the wrong way around. That first one was education, sorry. <laughs> now the NHS. I should read my notes. 
Okay. Um, so, yeah, education as well, which is a key. And again, there's some challenges with, with our education. We know it's underfunded and et cetera. But again, there's lots of people that would give their right arm for, for our, the education system that we, that we have. We have energy. Okay, so when we come and plug something in, we get power. And again, it's not like that everywhere. So we are blessed. Okay, we also have employment. So most of us here are employed and have got jobs doing something useful. And again, that's, I'm not sure what the figures are at the moment, but largely in the UK, we're pretty blessed with uh, employment, which is good. We have a legal system which protects us and allows us to go about and do our everyday tasks without having problems. And that gives us peace in our situation. And we have government. Now, okay, you might not think it's great, but we have a government and we have a system of government which actually again gives us peace. Okay, which is good. And we also have financial institutions and practices which allows us to trade and go about the business and earn money and again that brings us stability. And we also have our industry. Again, that's part of jobs. We have to have an industry to give people jobs. So generally, in the UK, we're pretty blessed. I think a lot of these are pinched from the sustainable goals from the, from the UN. So there are a few others as well, but those are the, the key ones. But let's look how we compare. I picked a few countries that we'll probably be familiar with in Africa. And this is their wealth in terms of billions of dollars, tends to be measured in dollars, this stuff. Um, so as you can see, the UK is sat there, huge amount of wealth. Uganda actually didn't even show up on the bar chart because it's so small. <laughs> okay. And then there's Nigeria and there's Kenya. So there is, I guess we see there's a sort of a moral obligation to help these other countries because they don't have what we've got. So they need help with that. So there's been a lot of work over the years in helping some of those countries come out of extreme poverty. So the blue chart is the number of, absolute number of people in extreme poverty. And then the orange line is the total number of people. And as you can see, population is growing. So that's a percentage that's going down. But in real terms, it's also going down as well. But only talking here about extreme poverty. And that's where people don't have any of those things that we've talked about consistently as a service. And... That is going down, but there is a risk that that curve will start going up again due to climate change, but we'll come to that. So, this is the UK, and this is looking at our economic output over the last few hundred years. So it's not that long ago that we were probably in a similar situation to a lot of these African countries were. And it, we sort of live in this age of um, generational, what's the word? <laughs> Forgetfulness, am amnesia. You know, we can only sort of like see the history of our lifetime and maybe that of our parents as they told us what it was like. But then if you're talking about going back to you know, your grandfather's grandfather, we don't have much understanding of what it was like for them. But you know, life was pretty hard back in those times. So I'm going to go through a little bit of a pot of history 
History isn't my favourite subject. Well, it, it, I enjoy it. I wasn't very good at school. Early. I got ungraded in my level. But that's the way it was taught, I think. Um, because, <laughs> yeah. If they had to talk about the ideology about what happened rather than just learning the facts and by numbers, by rote, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But anyway, here we go. 14th, 15th century, we had the Black Death, which wasn't great in the UK. We lost a huge amount of people. There were some great acts of heroism that happened, particularly amongst the, the faith community there, but it wasn't a good time. And after that was a time of agricultural depression. Things weren't good. There were a lot of failed um, harvests. So that's why our output wasn't that great. 16th, 17th century, we started to produce quite a lot of wool. There was demand for it. And so we started to export that around the world. So it actually started to improve the economic sort of health of the country a little bit. So we started up that little bit of a curve there. Then we hit the 18th century. One interesting thing that happened at the beginning of the 18th century was there was a run of very good harvests. So a lot of the, um, the uh, social uh, network was an agrarian society. So it was all based on what people could produce from the land. So that was actually pretty significant, and that was the start. Um, from that, there was people gained extra um, harvest that they could put aside for the winter, so the winters weren't so hard. And also there was extra for them to be able to sell and market around the country. And then so the sort of economic wealth improved um, a little bit from that, enough to have people to have a bit of spare time to do other things as well. So uh, trade then, because there was extra product and people were starting to produce other things, that we started to trade. And that trade started to go international. And the ideology of the day was called mercantilism. I'm not sure I pronounced that correctly. But let me give you a definition of what that is. Mercantilism, well, mercantilism is a nationalist economic policy that is designed to maximize the exports and minimize the imports for an economy. In other words, it seeks to maximize the accumulation of resources within the country and use those resources for one-sided trade. It promotes imperialism, colonialism, protectionism, currency manipulation, tariffs and subsidies on traded goods to achieve that goal. So it certainly wasn't fair trade. In many cases, it was trading product that we were producing for power or land. So it wasn't fair. <laughs> and then, of course, from that, we started the slave trade which, of course, wasn't good either. Um, a lot of industry back then was powered by renewable power, so it's not a new thing. They had water wheels and horses. They did a lot of the donkey work for us, although a lot of people were obviously involved in manual labor as well. Um, so let's go back to the slave trade. So Mainly trade, um, slaves were used in the support of production of cotton, sugar, and rum. So they were taken mainly from Africa over to the West Indies to help in the plantations there. Some of them could sometimes came up or did come over to the UK to act as personal slaves and things like that as well. So there was a, a lot, and I'm sure you know a lot about the, the slave trade. And... Um, 
Let's see. Okay. And towards uh, later in the 18th century, we discovered coal, and uh, then steam power came along. And then around about that time, there was all of the uh, abolitionist movement to move away um, from slavery. Um, and the abolitionists did a great job at raising the morality of slavery, but some historical commentators have said one of the reasons that actually it was, the law was passed to make slave trading illegal was because of the discovery of coal and steam power starting now to replace slavery. So it wasn't you know, necessarily completely a sort of a moralistic win. There was a sort of a practical one um, as well to that. Okay. Um, so I mentioned coal and steam. Then into the 19th century, we had the introduction of the railways, which allowed us to move all those products around the empire as it was now. And, uh, you know, we built a lot of these railways, not so that those countries like India could all go to the beach on holiday at the weekend. It was there so we could move the products around that we were buying and selling and making a lot of money and wealth from. So the expansion of the empire, and I probably let you know that you know, the British Empire was pretty big at one stage in the 19th century. And then we come into the 20th century. Now we're sort of like getting quite high up on that chart. And then now we've got the introduction of oil and gas to energize our economy. Um, and we produce a lot of gas uh, in the UK. I don't know whether we produce a huge amount of oil, but we import it and we buy it based on what we earn. And then, of course, we have plastics now as well. And we've got lots of waste and pollution as a result of that. Um, and again, rubbish is a big issue, not just here, but a lot of our rubbish and rubbish from Western countries end up in uh, these poorer countries. And often it's just burnt outside and there's a lot of bad stuff that gets released from burning of that, um, that plastic waste. Um, it's bad for health. So, growth. But at whose expense? So we've seen that often the trading practices were unfair. Uh, colonialism and imperialism meant we could attain what we wanted at the lowest cost, but this put little back into the local economy and even reduced the local economy. Exploitation, so slavery, extracted the very source of economic development for these countries, which is human effort and ingenuity. And then we've got, oh yeah, slavery. And then pollution, and I include in that uh, carbon dioxide as well. So um, the billions of tons of carbon dioxide that the UK generated as part of the Industrial Revolution in burning coal and now oil and gas is having a disproportionate impact on those countries who have emitted very little CO2. As climate change, driven by these CO2 emissions, is a global effect, in reality, this is just a continuation of the exploitation of the poor because we're effectively taking their good air and making it get dirty. So if you... Oh, um, okay, coming back to this run of good harvest, many African countries now 
will never get a run of good harvest to fuel their development because their climate has been affected by climate change. And if you think this exploitation is something of the past, it actually still continues. I don't know whether you saw in the news, but there was the African Climate Summit this week in Nairobi. Now, in Africa, the leaders have got together because their people are experiencing firsthand what it's like to suffer climate change, and they know they've got to do something about it. And it's bringing together the leaders of Africa. So they had this climate summit this week, and um, their aim is to introduce renewable te technologies. There's not a lot of infrastructure around oil and gas at the moment, but they do have lots of sun power, lots of wind, some hydropower. So it would make sense for them to jump straight to those technologies, which will be much cleaner. But at this conference, McKinsey consultants were there representing Western interest, bullying the leaders to say, we'll give you your funding. Just give us your gas deposits. We'll build a pipeline to Europe, and then we'll burn those in Europe. <laughs> Fortunately, the young people there were up to it and sent out a bulletin earlier in the week for everybody to send emails to the leader of the, this conference to say, don't listen to this, that's not what we want. And from what I've read so far, I've not seen the full outcome, but I don't think they're going down that route. But they're still, obviously, they could be influential and they will still carry on lobbying. So that's something to pray about, that they don't get their way. Another quick aside, actually, that's probably relevant to this. Asylum seekers. In the media, we often hear this argument Oh, lots of them are economic migrants, only wanting to come to this country to improve their standard of living. They're not subjects of persecution and conflict. But could it be, though, that even they may be entitled to some of the wealth as it was taken from them in, this, in the past? <laughs> nugget to drop in to think about. Okay, so let's look at this comparison of wealth again. What would it have been like if our trading practices would have been more fair? If we didn't have the slavery that we had, and we didn't build up that wealth in the UK, that some of that was left to these other countries, wouldn't that have been a much better outcome? <laughs> so maybe it's just a, moral, just a moral obligation to help these countries. Maybe there's a moral imperative here. I don't know whether you remember back at COP27, there was this decision about loss and damage fund that they decided they would have. It's something that a lot of the third world countries have been pushing for for a long time, to actually make some sort of recompense for what's happened in the past. So they set up this fund, which was great that they've done it, but up to now there's only been a few small commitments from some nations to contribute to this fund. The balance remains at zero, in this fund, while the national governments work out how to provide the funds to put into it. But these other countries, they can't really afford to wait for this because they need this money now. So the governments need to pick up. Now, hopefully, by the time we get to COP28 later this year, we might start seeing some commitments, which would be great. But it's, again, something to be praying about. So a bit about 
climate change impact. I think I've, when I've been around the groups, I've shown this one. The countries in red here, or the areas in red, are those countries that are most impacted by climate change. I don't know after the heat waves in Europe now whether we ought to colour those in a bit red as well. But most of those countries in that band in the centre are the sort of the poorest countries, you know, in the world. And so they're the people least able to cope with the changes that are happening. And a lot of those countries are where we've done all the good work to reduce the extreme poverty. So that's why it's a big risk that now that extreme poverty is going to start to grow. We've already seen migrations out of these areas. We've seen some island countries actually now planning to shift the whole island community to an island which actually got a bit more elevation. And I've heard of one island as well that have actually bought a bit of Australia. <laughs> and they're going to be moving their whole community to the centre of Australia because you know, it won't be long before their island is going to be basically wiped out because the sea level's rising. So these are big changes for some people. And like I say, it's the people that really at least manage to cope with it. So I've got a short video now to show you um, a little bit about this, the impacts. I was born and raised in Rwanda. During my lifetime, our temperature has increased far more than the global average. This is not driven by us. People in the least developed country, like mine, emit 35 times less carbon than those in high-income countries. Rwandans rely heavily on the land, and we are used to coping with the long rainy season and the challenge of our mountainous landscape. But climate change is making things worse, and we are being pushed beyond our ability to adapt, rain, erode soil, and kill livestock. Land degradation affects the whole community, displacing thousands. My family had a small and cozy home, but like so many others, had to live with just their clothes and bags, forced to move to a communal house. The last period of intense rainfall lasted for five months. It destroyed roads and health centers, leading to over 130 deaths. These damages are profound. These losses are irreversible. Climate change disproportionately affects rural girls and women. Daily tasks such as collecting water and cooking wood are made increasingly difficult by droughts and floods that wash away agricultural income, leaving them with nothing. Youth-led climate action can bring these stories of loss and damage that go unseen and unheard to the fore. We have the power and the knowledge to develop solutions, but we need the right financial support. Our call is for developed countries of the world to listen and to act. On. Okay, let me just update my notes. Justice. So in summary, our current wealth here in the UK has been in some measure at the expense of our neighbours. So it's not just a case that we happen to be better off, so we should just help the poor. 
But there is a sense in which some of what we have actually belongs to others who are now poor. Okay, we are not accountable for the actions of our predecessors. That's between us and God. But we are responsible for the choices that we make that impact those in poverty. And we need to recognize that the the platform that we live from has come from this not-so-brilliant past. A quote from Gandhi, Live simply so others may simply live. So how can we do justice, as we saw from the scriptures earlier? Well, there's a number of things that we can get involved in. One of the great things that I've been doing for some time with my family is a microfinance scheme, which is a great way of connecting with people in these poor countries. So you give a relatively small amount of money. I think it was like $100 I started with. And you, you select the project in the third world country, and these people don't have banks they can go to that they can borrow money, and they need stuff. They might need a bicycle so they can take their produce to market, or they might want to buy a solar array so they can have light during the evening so their kids can study when it's dark. Just small projects like that. And so you lend the money, and then they earn money back from that, and then you get paid back over time, and then you get badgered by Kiva to say, you've got money in your account, now invest it somewhere else. So it's a great way of actually connecting, and you get feedback from the people as well that are they're involved in the project, which is a great connection. Um, there are other organizations that do it as well. It's not just Kiva, but they're the ones that I've been with for some time. There's a, currently a Christian aid campaign called Make Polluters Pay. And they say the biggest polluters are responsible for the loss and damage caused by the climate crisis. It's time to make polluters pay. The people who have done the least to cause climate crisis are dealing with the damage to harvests and homes right now. They're losing their lives, land, culture right now. In the UK, we're calling on the Prime Minister to push for the companies and countries most responsible for loss and damage to pay the most into this new fund. Ensure the money in the fund is new rather than money taken from existing pledges or existing aid budgets. And it delivered as grants, not loans. Ensure the money in this fund reaches the communities most affected by the loss and damage. So that's what they're, push, that's what they're pushing for. Particularly, they're pushing for the fossil fuel companies, you know, BPs and Shells. And I'm sure you've seen in the press about how many billions they've made. Um, they should contribute to this as well because they've been part of the problem. So look up the Christian Aid campaign. They get, get involved in that. Tear Fund are very much involved in the whole side of, of rubbish. They've got a, what they call a rubbish campaign. It's a brilliant campaign, but it's just about rubbish. Um, and that's about trying to reduce the amount of plastic rubbish that gets processed in this country and goes illegally abroad. And uh, particularly in doing that, making sure that those that, whose livelihood is based on sifting rubbish piles in these poor countries, because it is a job that people do, if we do manage to get rid of the r- rubbish, that they're educated to do something else more productive. So, again, it's a great campaign. Um, buy fair trade products. You know, making sure that the stuff we buy is not based on exploiting somebody, which still happens. You'd be amazed. There's been some great programs on the, the telly. Stacey Dooley did one a while ago. 
um, about fast fashion and how people are treated terribly. So, um, and Carol was talking about earlier about what she's doing, which is great. So, just be aware when we're choosing products, where are they coming from? Are people being exploited in that? And of course, if you want to know more, we can run the Plenty course again. If you've been encouraged by what you heard today, and come and discuss some of these issues and uh, learn a little bit more. But there's a lot we can do. But a lot of these things are big. So we need to have bigger vision in our transforming society. And Adrian and Heather are going to come and just lead us in some prayers. Yeah, we've, um, these prayers are based actually on prayers we did at the end of the course each week. Um, yes, yeah, very powerful things that we have to think about. Okay. Loving God, thank you for the abundant world you created, where there was enough for every species to thrive. Forgive our greed and selfishness. May our actions reveal your compassion and delight in all life on earth. May we use our money, time, talents and choices to protect our planet and to ensure that all near and far have plenty and experience life in all its fullness. May we find contentment where we do not expect and treasure the unexpected. Let us buy what we need and not be seduced by greed. We pray that leaders of corporations, countries and financial institutions may see with your eyes and act in the interests of all. As your disciples, may we too dare to be different outspoken, bold, and loving for the sake of the planet and those, who fail, those that have failed by the systems and are struggling to get by. When we are overwhelmed, reassure us that individuals and movements have changed the course of history and that we too can transform the world. Give us daily hope that we can turn the world upside down so your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Loving God, creator of teeming oceans and resounding forests, forgive the way we have exploited your creation for our own ends, putting profits, greed, and status before well-being and sustainability. Give us hope that you are restoring and redeeming among us. We pray that change will come quickly to preserve species, and we remember those at the forefront of climate change now. For the gifts we have in abundance, relationships, friendships, activities, and wonder at your natural world, give us grateful hearts which remain content with enough. May we know the joy of all these and many more priceless moments and continually open our hearts to others to ensure all have plenty. God of justice, God of hope, who came into the world as a vulnerable baby and turned the world upside down, so the first are last and the meek are blessed. You cut across cultural norms, revealing your heart for the poor and the outcast. We ask that hope and compassion may reach out to those without enough, so that all may praise your name and know enduring goodness and love. Give us reassurance that no act of ours is too small or insignificant and will change hearts, even our own. Amen. Just one other thing, I was going to bring it at the last minute. I don't know whether you saw the G20 meeting over the weekend and the, uh, the African Union now have been invited to have a permanent seat on that. 
So they're now actually being represented at that top level as well, which is really good. So it's great if they can really start making a change in Africa and start influencing the rest of the world because the population in Africa is actually growing quite fast and is actually going to overrun even China, I read. So it's pretty significant. So that's a lot of hope in that. So anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you've been informed and challenged, I think, as I was when I put this together. <laughs> anyway, thank you. <laughs>